that their play on the field put them toward the back of the line. Kaiser doesn't see him. Ball is out. There always seems to be one team further behind. All right, gang, welcome to the Brown Notes podcast, where we let them rip on the Cleveland Browns. My name is Scott. And this is Rico. Week, what, week 14, 15, something like that. Technically not a game that that they had to have, because even if they lost this game, they still would have been in the fifth spot. However... At this point in time, all games are important. At home against Chicago, it was a roller coaster ride the entire the, the entire way out. We'll get into that, but the Browns pulled one out at the end, twenty to seventeen. I don't even know what to fucking think, dude. Like I'm, my mind is swimming on this game. I'm I'm baffled. It was just such an up and down ride, and my heart is finally back into my chest now. Well, I think you said the key thing, up and down. Um, I'm sure you were on X like I was during the game, and the fan base is truly bipolar, man. I mean, it's just crazy. crazy. Listen, I have – I'm going to approach this game in an unconventional way, and I'm going to try to be careful because Browns fans are so sensitive to any perceived negativity towards the franchise. True. I'm not going to be negative. I'm happy as hell they won, but I am going to be sober. Browns fans during the week, especially after Vic, after a victory, tend to go through like these cycle, you know, like the depression cycle, I guess. But in a weird way, it's not the depression cycle. It's like a, it's like this weird roller coaster of feelings. And what happens after a win is Browns fans are super elated. And then come Wednesday, like a little bit of sobriety sets in and they come down a little bit and get nervous about the next week's game because the elation goes away and they start to see kind of what actually happened in the game. So then they get a little nervous and then they get pumped up again towards the end of the week when it's time for game time because it's natural to get excited about the next opponent. I'm already at the sober stage. This game is going to age like milk, okay? There, if you really take a hard look at this game, we had no business winning this game, like none. And fact, even the Hail Mary at the end was caught by a bear. I mean, for all for all intents and purposes, we lost the football game. Uh, Joe Flacco threw a pick six, another one that was damn near a pick six, and they put the ball in the end zone eventually anyway. And then another interception on what should have been a prime scoring opportunity. But I saw the bipolar Browns fans on X in the third quarter saying, well, how's eight and six taste? You know, uh, you know, this is just terrible. Fire everybody and Flacco sucks. 
And I thought to myself, it's the third quarter. We still got a quarter of football to play here. So I had hope. Um, but I'm already at in the Browns cycle, the Browns, what's help me out. Like the emotional. The, uh, uh, yeah, no, I'm uh, like the, the uh, stages of grief or whatever yes. you want to call that. Where, where, where you're already past your, your, your Browns blind Sunday excitedness, which your reality that normally sets in on Wednesday when the new week starts is already here Sunday night. Yeah, I'm at Wednesday. And so yeah, you're I'm already at Wednesday. Elated that we won. Love being nine and five. It's been an absolute white knuckle, crazy, unpredictable season. It's been a lot of fun. These games are hard to watch. But yep. this game and this performance today, holy hell, they've got a lot to correct. David Njoku absolutely playing out of his pants for the last three or four weeks now. Um, Mary Kay Cabot, I don't know how often you watch the ultimate Cleveland sports show, but about three weeks ago, she called him out on the show and said, she sure did. She says he's not where he needs to be with touchdowns. And ever since then, he's been on fire. So she must've lit a fire under him. Uh, Dalvin Tomlinson had a great game today. Um, so there were bright spots, but the Browns today for, in my opinion, really 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 had the football gods on their side yeah you know and and with uh, and and at this point in time to to follow up on what your your angle here yeah i mean you were already at wednesday and listen at this point in time with all the injuries and the way this game went and, and exactly what you said they had no point winning this game because of the interceptions because the fact that listen dude besides Wyatt Teller they're playing with a bunch of practice squad linemen so right now the Browns in general are playing with house money they have is any let's be real here and I'm not being negative I'm not being wet blanket guy and if people want to hammer me fine in their current state they are not going far in the playoffs man and, and it's not because it's not because they don't want to, and it's not because Kevin Stefanski is a shitty coach, and it's not because, it, dude, when when other people's playoff teams are playing first and second stringers, and we're playing practice squad people because there's too many injuries, it's just a numbers game at this point in time. So it's what we said, I think, a week or two ago, considering the injuries, and I think I said this, Considering the injuries and the quarterbacks and all of that stuff, I, I think I said, really, if they could just manage to come out of this season with a winning record, it's a win. Well, guess what? They have they have guaranteed themselves a winning record. Everything after this week, as far as I'm concerned, is just gravy, dude, because there's just – I saw a thing on TV today, and maybe you saw this too um, – 56% of their payroll is injured right now. More than half of their of their opening day roster is injured. That is insanity. They are they are the number one team in the NFL as far as injuries are concerned. And all of their injuries are all in the wrong places. So 
Wednesday's here, dude, and it's not because we want the team to fail, and it's not because we're wet blanketing Kev, what Kevin Stefanski is doing, which I'll bring up in a little bit. It's just real. They're playing with house money. Water is going to find its own level eventually. And the fact that it, it, I saw this on X so many times today, the injuries are finally caught up to him. Injuries are finally caught up to him. And it's going to it's going to happen eventually. The odds, Scott, the numbers say that they're not going to go. Sure, the 85% chance of making the playoffs right now. But the odds are that they're not going to go very far because they're playing against everybody else's ones and twos. And that's just the way that it is. Yeah, they won't get away with if they have a performance like they had today in the playoffs, they'll be a they'll be a one and done. Um you know, Kevin uses the cliche. Let's go one and oh this week, right? It's a cliche, and we all hate it because all of us look at the schedule, we play the schedule game, we look ahead, we <clears throat> try to find a path to the playoffs, right? With this team and where they're at roster wise and injury wise, that one and oh week to week approach is the only approach they can take. If yeah. you think back to watching the Cavs when LeBron was here, you could be in the middle of the season and thinking about the playoffs. You'd be like, because you knew they were going to make the playoffs. There's no doubt. So you'd be looking at them thinking, well, how is this going to translate to playoff basketball? When you think about the 90s Indians, you'd be looking at them in the regular season and thinking, you know, what's this pitching going to look like in the playoffs? How is this hitting going to translate? Because you could actually think about the playoffs and you didn't have to go by cliches of one and oh, let's just go one and oh, because yep. the because it actually you actually had a tangible chance in the playoffs and so this team with the way the roster is and how depleted it is i've never seen a team more week to week because on any given week you don't even know who you're fielding you don't even know who's going to be on the field and they really are individual like you're just playing for that one week they could, they yeah. could just with as bad as the offensive line got tossed around today, they could lose the next three games. Okay. Oh, it easily and could so, lose the next three games. Oh, yeah. So it really is just about can we win this week and about managing a win individually, week to week, almost like quarter to quarter, you know, like. Yeah. Can we do what it takes? It's like you are playing with so little at this point at so many positions that you're just winning downs. You know, it is like you are in that bad of shape. So, yeah, you've ta you've taken what what is a trite, overused, need cliche, and it's real in this case. Every yeah. moment is life, and you can't look past a down or a snap because of all of the fucking patchwork finagling that you have to do on a play-by-play -play basis. That's so true. And to, to Stefanski's credit, he's got those guys. <laughs> excuse me. I've been sick. He's, he's got those guys buying into that. And you hear them echo his, his let's go one and O in the locker room, in the post games, you hear them echo it in pressers. He's got the guys buying in, and it's it's really a fine, fine coaching job on behalf of everybody on the staff. Stefanski, Schwartz, um, Bubba, 
they've got the team playing in all three phases as best they possibly can. And I thought I had resigned myself to a loss, even though I was on X and saying, come on, guys, we still got a quarter left to play. In my brain, I kind of thought it ain't going to happen today. You know, this just, and especially yep. the way I saw the line, the offensive line was getting beat up. I was like, I don't, and they couldn't run the ball. And I thought, I don't know if they're going to, this, this ain't going to happen today. But the guys on the field don't think that way. And it's evident because there's no quit in them. They're a fun team to watch because they've got a lot of heart. They don't give up and they are like the bad news bears. They're like under underdogs because that, I mean, I don't think they're going to be favored next week against Houston in Houston. I mean, especially if CJ Stroud is back and I, I mean, to your point, man, they're guys, they're not winning the Super Bowl this year. This is going to be a team that probably has a quick exit in the playoffs should they make it. But I don't think that should detract from I think what they're doing this year is they're they're building some culture and we're seeing a, a guy who I thought they should have fired last year emerge as a really solid NFL head coach. Oh, and totally. And and uh let me let me ask you about that. So when when coaches are good coaches, let's take uh, let's take Mike Tomlin and Bill Belichick as examples. They had both of them had really great runs as head coaches, very successful Hall of Fame coaches. But when did they both start having issues, Scott? They both had started having issues when they didn't have a when they had a quarterback problem. That's when things started to kind of go south for them, and that's kind of the pattern, like all over the place, really. Like when you have your guy, a quarterback you can work with, you're successful. And then when that guy retires, or you trade him, or whatever, and then you don't have that guy anymore then you start having issues and then you wind up getting fired. Well, let me ask you something about Kevin Stefanski. In his first two, four years as a head coach here, he's had nothing but quarterback problems. Um, and, and in his first four years, he's put together two winning seasons, likely two playoff appearances, and already has one coach of the year and is probably the leading candidate for coach of the year this year. So does that give you hope that he could put together a nice long run here considering he's had nothing but quarterback issues since he's been here and has coached his ass off pretty successfully? Does that give you hope that he could put together a nice long run? I mean, I sure hope so. I've I've come around totally from where I, at the end of last year I thought he should be fired. I didn't think yeah, this we team both had were, for sure. I didn't think this team had any business winning seven games last year. I thought they should have been, you know, just under 500 or a game over. I just, there's too much talent on the roster. Yep. Same with the year before. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would hope that given kind of the patchwork at the most important position in all of professional sports that he's had to deal with and what he's been able to get out of this team, given the deficiencies there, I think, yeah, I think I would hope that he would have a nice long career here. The problem is I don't trust the owner. Um, I would love nothing more than for the Browns to establish some culture and to have a guy who's a head coach here for like 15, 17 years and really build a program and a culture and have 
people when you draft them, they know what it means to be a Brown and there's no like constant churning of that definition because you're constantly churning GMs and head coaches to have like a guy who kind of establishes a culture that can last here for, you know, 15 to 20 years would be great for the Cleveland Browns. I want that. I don't trust ownership and that's, I don't have any trust in Jimmy Haslam. So, um, Hopefully, and not he because can it, see that. Well, and not and not because he doesn't want to win. It's because I think we he you know when he first bought the team, he had some trouble. He wanted to win. He wanted to be a good owner, and I think he still wants to be a good owner. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The guy has no problem spending money. I think he wants to win. I just think he just is didn't doesn't know how to win and he doesn't know how to be a good owner and sometimes he just can't get out of his own way and i think if he can just learn how to get out of his own way and and take the desire to win which is there clearly i think he, dude even in the last few years i think he's he's come far from when he you know the first few years of ownership i don't trust him either because all the listen all we have to do at this point in time is just keep him keep him away from a microphone. Just let him hide in the shadows and, and him and D run the team. As long as he's not doing interviews or pressures where he can't poop out of his mouth, because ultimately it wind up, winds up what's happening, and then people have trust issues because he's not great in front of a mic, unfortunately. He always has trouble there. So if he could just stay away from those press conferences and just operate in the shadows – and 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 let things continue to blossom the way they're blossoming right now. I think we have some good things to look forward to. I really do. I think nobody he's like I said, I think it's pretty clear nobody can doubt this guy's desire to have a winning successful organization and and not just be a guy that just looks at a bottom line and just is concerned about making a profit, right? Um, He doesn't seem like that kind of guy because he spends like a fiend, which is a good thing. So, yeah, I don't really trust him either, but at the same time, I feel like he's come come pretty far in the last few years. So, you know, we'll see what happens, I suppose. I mean, I guess I can agree with that sentiment that he's come far in the past couple of years, but I also think that he was behind, and I have no evidence of this. I'm just a schmuck who watches the Browns, but <laughs> just from what I've read and what I've heard in the media from a few people, I do think he was instrumental and maybe even have been kind of the driving force behind the Deshaun Watson move which you can look at a couple of different ways. One, that's an owner who really wants to win is saying we we can't get it done with Baker Mayfield. We need an elite quarterback, and I think there's an opportunity to get one, so let's do it, and moving heaven and earth to make it happen. Or you can look at it as ownership probably shouldn't be meddling in personnel decisions. And so it, it kind of comes down to where you as a fan feel about how you feel about that level of involvement. But there has been in the past, there's a track record of Jimmy Haslam meddling in personnel decisions. And so, and, and even who's playing. Um, and that goes back to like Johnny Manziel over Brian Hoyer, right. Which effectively yep. tanked the season. And so, 
he is an owner who sticks his nose in what's going on with the football product on the field. Now, if you're Tony Rizzo, you say, well, he paid a billion dollars for the team. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. That's fine. But there's also kind of a proven track record in sports that teams with owners that stay the fuck out and just hire quality, uh, hire qualified people to do their job and then get out of the way and let them do it, that those owners tend to be the most successful owners. You know, the funny thing about sports, I was just having this conversation with a colleague at work the other day, is that if you think about it, okay, think about our friends in Pittsburgh, right? And think about us. When it comes to sports, you don't really root for the teams. You do, but what you really root for are the owners because, for one thing, the owners can pull stakes up and leave anytime they want. They actually own the teams, <laughs> okay? You root for owners. It's yeah. The teams that are the most successful in any sport have the best ownership, and the reason why we haven't been successful in my lifetime in half a century of my lifetime in Cleveland by and large is because we haven't had good ownership here. And that's pretty much in all the sports. Okay. Yeah, that's true. And it's true. So if you think of our friends in Pittsburgh, what is their ownership situation like? Right. So we always talk yeah. about, oh, they've only had, you know, three head coaches in a hundred years. And it's like, they have great ownership in Pittsburgh you know, and that's why they win. So really you root for ownership. Think of the Cleveland Indians and how bad the ownership situation was for decades. Think of the Cleveland Browns haven't had good ownership since Marty McBride. I mean, Art Modell was a 500 owner here who ultimately couldn't make ends meet and move the team. Randy Lerner was a joke. Al Lerner was decent, passed away. Randy Lerner, his son, was a fucking joke of an owner. And Jimmy Haslam started out being a joke of, a, of an owner. And so as a result, the team's been terrible. You know, the Cavs had Ted Stepien owning the team. They are so awful of an owner, they made a rule to prevent people behaving like he behaved. So it really yeah. is about yeah. ownership, you know? So yeah, in, in a, a sense, point. Kevin can be as great and effective as he wants to be, but he's only going to be as successful as management allows him to be it's it's a top-down thing you know yeah and until until jimmy haslam at all you know d and jimmy and j dubs who ultimately is going to wind up taking over the team when um haslam decides to just be like the silent owner guy um ultimately those people those three have to evolve into a robert Kraft or an art Rooney to where they, they, they continue to want the team to be successful like they do now, but they write checks and they, they answer questions and they have their input when asked, but then they just stay out of the way. The, the Rooney's only get involved when they have to. And Robert Kraft only gets involved when he has to Robert Kraft has seven Super Bowls, Scott, and he just lets Bill, I mean, you know, he's having to get involved now, um, like it's been all over the news, but during that nice long run of seven Super Bowls, Robert Kraft just stayed out of the way, man. He wrote everybody's checks, and he just enjoyed what he was watching from his field box, right? And they, those, those guys have set everything up. Everything is, all the dominoes have been laid out nicely, and they just stay out of the way. 
and get involved when they have to. And when the Haslam's evolve to that point to where they're just observing, then we will not have that viewpoint. We don't have the trust issues. And then we can start rooting for the Haslam's. I think, honestly, we're getting closer to that. I mean, yeah, and when your team is doing what they're doing this year and they're winning when they shouldn't be, and two years ago or three, two years ago, you went to a playoff. So things are going that way. And I think we trust the Haslam's more than we did in the beginning, but we still have a little bit of ways to go. But we're on our way, though. I feel, I feel like we're on our way to that point. We just need a little more time. Well, what will be interesting is <clears throat> it almost comes full circle. As we started the season saying this entire season hinges on Deshaun Watson. Well, boy, that turned out to be a bad take. But having said that, though, in a way, our opinion of Jimmy Haslam and how we, uh, how we view his success as an owner hinges on Deshaun Watson because if Deshaun Watson who's got what's he have left two or three years left um this is year two he's got three years so if he comes out and if he's never Deshaun Watson again or close to what we expected him to be then that's gonna really hamstring the franchise and it's going to really make life difficult for Andrew Barry, Kevin Stefanski. It's going to be an albatross around the franchise. And ultimately he will have been the one who put that around the franchise's neck. <laughs> and so, um, however, if on the flip side, if Deshaun Watson continues to kind of go in the direction he was showing prior to his injury, and that is having what I think was to date the best performance in the NFL in the second half of that Ravens game this season. Yep. Um, if he continues down that track, then we'll all be like, man, thank God Jimmy Haslam had the guts to make that move whenever we were all, you know, it's Baker mania and in, in Cleveland and he had the guts to make that tough decision. We'll all be thankful. We had an owner who was willing to do that, you know, and to put the money I, up to make it happen. So it, it all rides on Deshaun Watson. Uh, I mean, in in Haslam's defense, you know, half the league wanted Deshaun Watson. I mean, everybody was riding that train, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just Jimmy Haslam. The, the thing that that the the big the big monkey wrench in this whole thing is the guaranteed contract. But he did what he felt like he had to do to get him in Cleveland. But there were eighteen other teams that wanted him on their team. Just nobody was willing to write the check that he was willing to write. And he pissed everybody off. So in his defense, he wasn't the only guy who was trying to get him. Half the league wanted him. Um, nobody ever could have imagined at the time that things would play out the way they're currently playing out. I mean, it's been he's been here two years and it's been a bust so far. So that doesn't mean it's going to be a bust. But I can tell you this. Everybody is in, we have a, you know, and a lot of NFL fans are prisoner of the moment, but I feel like Cleveland fans are particularly prisoner of the moment. Everybody is feeling Joe Flacco right now. And yeah, he threw some picks today, but he also um, had the mental toughness and the wherewithal and the level-headedness to not let that bother him and to throw and have some fucking wicked throws to, wow. I mean, that one throw to Amari Cooper. Holy yes. Shit. 
I mean, if anybody watches the the replay of that, it's just uh, uh, that's an unbelievable throw. But my point is, Joe Flacco. If you look at the forest and not just the trees, what Joe Flacco is doing right now is making it really hard for Deshaun Watson next year. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad you're bringing this up because I've thought that for a while. I mean, it's like he's yeah. gonna he's gonna have all the pressure in the world on him next year. Yeah, he think he had pressure this year. The 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 more success that Joe Flacco has, it's gonna be. And and remember earlier this year, I was questioning his mental toughness. And I think from a certain point of view, I was right. Um, but the more success Joe Flacco has, dude, it could break him because he already has a lot. He already had pressure, the pressure of the contract, the pressure, all that other stuff that we've already talked about. But he is making it so hard on Deshaun Watson next year. I'm I'm afraid for next year. I really am. I'm afraid. I'm afraid to to. I'm really, it, from a certain point of view, I, I don't even want next year to get here because of the implications. Well, and the other thing is I wonder what could happen in the locker room because yeah. what you're seeing is you're seeing Elijah Moore in the offense all the time. David Njoku was having a pedestrian season prior to Flacco getting here. Now Njoku is looking like one of the best tight ends in the league. Yep. Um, you see Goodwin making a monster catch. You see yep. Cooper, who was kind of o- Watson's only target when Watson was quarterback. But my goodness, do I want Cooper to be around a while? Holy macaroni salad. Um, so you're seeing guys get involved in the offense that just were not like a part. I thought Tillman looked great today. I mean, you're I was seeing- just going to say that Cedric Tillman is involved even. Yeah, so you're seeing like Flacco is getting like all these guys involved in the offense, and Watson seemed to be like only able to like get to one dude, you know? And so I don't know, man. I mean, if if you go into next season and we're back to kind of like, you know, indecisiveness, holding onto the ball, dancing around back there, running, kind of only getting it to Cooper and everybody else is kind of not getting any numbers. I think it could get ugly in the locker room, you know, because the guys are going to be like, man, we were humming last year. Uh, here, here's a question that, that I'm going to, uh, I'm going to ask the question and, and it's a rhetorical question, but it's not at the same time. And I'm asking it to you and I'm asking it to the one or two people that accidentally listen to this, uh, to this podcast. So aside from, because I've been thinking about this for two weeks at least. Aside from the mobility, name name one thing that Deshaun Watson is better than Joe Flacco at. Besides mobility. Oh gosh. Well, I mean, we haven't seen Watson play well in Cleveland, so I can't. I honestly can't name that thing if I take away mobility. Um, I which, do is, think, which is why I, which is why I precursored it as more of a rhetorical question because people can opt out of answering it by saying, "Well, he's been injured and we haven't really seen him." So, because uh, I've been thinking about, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, I've been, you're good. it's 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 hard to answer. But I wanted to put it out there. 
Well, I mean, I think in reality, I mean, you keep going back to this, but we saw him play well in the Tennessee game, which was probably his most complete game. And we saw him play exceedingly well in a half against Baltimore. And that was really it for the season. I mean, he hasn't played well otherwise. And we saw a half against Washington last year. So that's like three quarters of, you know, or three, maybe I'll give him the full game in Tennessee. So, you know, we're looking at like two games, you know, four quarters of quality you know, football or of, you know, so it's, it's pretty thin, man. The resume is pretty thin. I think you said it, you verbalized what everybody was thinking. I don't know whether you realize you did it, but you said it's been a bust so far a couple minutes ago. And I think that's fairly accurate, but I do think that he was trending in the right direction this year before the injury got him. So there might be yeah, hope and, there, but now he's got another long layoff and another rehabilitation. Well, it, it, and the other thing that's kind of working against him is the cat from Cincinnati who's a backup who looks like a pro bowler. The the guy uh DeVito or DeVito from New York looking New York. great. The guy from Tennessee looking pretty good. The guy from the Raiders, they, these are all backup quarterbacks. Deshaun um Joe Flacco. There's five backups right now in the NFL that all look better than Deshaun Watson right now. So it's not it's not good for him right now. Yeah, the rust it is really gone, isn't. man. The rust excuse yeah. isn't going to play anymore. You know, there's no, no more it's it's almost more between the ears than a rust thing. I also wonder too if um I honestly think Stefanski likes more of the type of quarterback that Flacco is than the type of quarterback that Watson is, which is kind of odd because since they got Watson, they've shifted their QB room to more Watson-like quarterbacks, kind of top to bottom is what they've been filling their QB room. It's what they drafted in DTR. But I honestly think, I mean, I think Stefanski's system is like, what would you call it? Like a Kubiak, like Shanahan system? And I, so uh, I, It's a Kubiak, a Kubiak. Uh, the hell is his name? His first name? It's a Kub Gary. Kubiak Gary version. Of, yeah, 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 yeah. Kubiak's version of the West Coast offense, right? Like, a, like, like a a zone read Gary Kubiak West Coast offense, right? Which which came from Mike Shanahan, right? And that, like, yeah, in the tree. So I think he's yeah. running like a version of that, and so I think that he's more at home with the type of quarterback that Flacco represents that Kirk cousins represents that in some respects, even a Jacoby Brissett represents. And I think that kind of fits what he does a little better than this kind of this running quarterback, that more freelance quarterback that Watson represents. And we were told we were going to see this whole new offense and I just don't know that Stefanski and Watson are a match. And that's part of the problem with having an owner who's picking your quarterback. <laughs> you know, it should be from football people, right? So <clears throat> I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, am uh, I wrong? my thoughts? Uh, no, my, no, no. I, I think uh, it's pretty clear that, well, I mean, Stefanski and Flacco clearly mesh better than Stefanski and Watson do. Because um, St Stefanski's system, he's scheming receivers open all the time. 
you know, and yeah. Flacco is like eating dinner on that, right? Because he's like, holy crap, and he's nailing them. He's hitting them, which is why you're seeing more a greater variety of receivers touching the football because Stefanski's always scheming them open. But Watson was like missing them all the time, and DTR was missing, but DTR's a kid. Some of the throws that Joe Flacco is making since he's been here are the type of throws where it, in I feel like to, to what you just said, the way Kevin Stefanski's offense schemes wide receivers open and based on the type of throws that Joe Flacco has been making um, there, it's the type of offense where like the, like the Amari Cooper and I'm not Jake Burns here. I'm going to try and be Jake Burns for a second, but I'm not okay. The, the Amari Cooper pass today, there were three defenders. The, 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 the other Browns guy was going down the field and Amari Cooper was breaking right. And that's when Joe Flacco hit him. Well, these schemes that Kevin Stefanski is, is cooking up require the quarter pack to anticipate where a guy is going to be in the future and throw to that spot trusting that the receiver is going to get to that spot and meet the ball when it gets there. Those are the type of crazy-ass elite throws that Joe Flacco is making because that's the type of offense that I feel like Kevin Stefanski wants to run. And the guy, guys like P.J. Walker and Deshaun Watson even and DTR only because those guys are young, these guys are weighed, they're, they're only making one read and they're waiting till guys are already open. And when in, in Kevin Stefanski's offense, when a guy is already open, it's too late. You have to throw these balls from what I can ascertain anyways. You got to throw these balls before the guys are even open. And you're throwing to a spot where a guy's going to be and these guys aren't seeing it. And they can't, they're not making because they're waiting too long. Which I think is why a guy like Amari Cooper, who's a route receiver, works so well in this offense because he's known exactly. for his perfect routes. And whereas a guy like Odell Beckham doesn't work in this offense because he's like a zone receiver. He's going to be in an area and freelancing. Yeah. He's not going to run a yeah. perfect route, you know? So, right. and that's why I think he works well in Baltimore, <laughs> you know? But here... You know, that zone wide receiver isn't going to work. You need that guy who runs that perfect route for Stefanski's system. And now you've got this quarterback that is kind of a, you know, he's just making it up. And that's like Kevin's system is like kind of more, you know, it's more precise. It's very pre pre precision. Like on that one, the Amari Cooper play today, the, the he based on the routes that everybody was running, Kevin Stefanski knew with pretty high probability that when the one when the one guy from Cleveland went down the field, he was going to take that defensive back with him. The other guy was going to hold the other defensive back down, and Amari Cooper was going to he was going to cut right and be right in that hole that was created by the scheme, and that's where the ball needed to be very precision and Amari Cooper runs very precise routes and Kevin Stefanski trusts that Amari Cooper is going to run that route right into that hole and Joe Flacco is going to throw the ball right where it's supposed to be went before Amari Cooper even make it because the ball was already out of his hand before Amari Cooper even made the cut and the ball met him there right in the hole and hence the touchdown yeah it was beautiful. And, and Deshaun Watson, it's, it was amazing. I mean, with the replay, I was baffled. And and Deshaun Watson 
can't do that. I'm sorry that I'm saying that, but he has not shown at all that he can do that. And that is in Kevin Stefanski's offense is predicated on that type of precision, which to your point, why guys like OBJ don't work out here because there's no room for freelancing in this offense. It's all very carefully engineered and a lot of precision involved there. And I I don't know what the future holds really, to be honest with you. Cleveland Browns, all day, all night. Ever wonder if rock and roll is dead? Does the music we grew up loving align with modern sensibilities? Or should it be relegated to the dustbin of regrettable rock history? My name is Scott. And this is Rico. We are your rock and roll pathologists. Join us as we take your favorite songs and put them under the knife every week on Rock and Roll Autopsy. New episodes every Sunday at midnight, wherever you stream your podcasts. The Rock and Roll Autopsy Podcast.